As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you will find great baseball talk all week long. That includes us every Tuesday. So I am Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. I'm joined once again by my good friend. Writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. And Doug, it's a big week in Starkville because it's that time again. Is it true that later in this show, you are going to tell <laughs> the legendary Tyra Banks story? I will uh, I will do that if you'll indulge me. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's what we do here. We indulge you. And I have approval from my wife. Uh, she's given sort of a, a perpetual license to be able to tell this story. So I appreciate that. Really? Yeah. Well, we all appreciate it. And if you haven't heard this story, you'll want to appreciate Mrs. Glanville. And you'll want to stick around. But there is a spoiler alert. Why does Doug owe me big time forever? Because if not for me... He would not have ever met his good friend, Tyra Banks. Doug, you can confirm that, right? This is true. 100% true. <laughs> yeah, I've never met Tyra Banks personally, but you'll see. Just stick around for the story. Uh, all right, a couple of things before we get to that and to our tremendous September preview roundtable panel of Eno Saris and New York Times great Tyler Kepner. First off, hoping everyone out there had a wonderful Labor Day weekend and 
Uh, let's just say special thanks to everyone who is serving our country and all the frontline workers who have helped get us through the last year and a half. We appreciate you here in Starkville. Absolutely. Also, it's a special week in baseball because it's Hall of Fame Induction Day on Wednesday in the Magic Kingdom of Cooperstown, New York. Uh, obviously, it's not usually on a Wednesday. It's not usually in September. It's usually in July. But these aren't usual times. Uh, just to remind you, being honored this week are Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and the longtime head of the Players Association, Marvin Miller. Uh, and Doug, beyond extending our, our congratulations, I thought we should take a moment to talk a little about Derek Jeter. First off, here's my thing. It's almost hilarious to me, Doug, that there are still many, many people who think Derek Jeter was overrated. There are even some people who don't even think he was a Hall of Famer. Okay, yeah, 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 I know he was a Yankee, right? So, right? so, of course, he got way more attention because he was a Yankee. Cool. But let me just say this unequivocally. <laughs> Derek Jeter was one of the greatest shortstops of modern times, period. Uh, let's do this. Hannes Wagner stopped playing baseball in 1917. That was a long time ago. You know who has been the greatest offensive shortstop in the post-Hannes Wagner portion of baseball history? Doug, you want to take a guess at this? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Is the guy number two? You can do Is it. it. Number two? Num number two, <laughs> Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is the answer. Um, here's why. Offensive wins above replacement. Every shortstop of the live ball era, he ranks number one. And it's not close. Twice as many 200-hit seasons as any other shortstop in all that time. Eight. Twice as many seasons hitting 300 than any other shortstop in the last 50 years. He's got 12 of those. Highest OPS plus of any shortstop in the live ball era who started at least 2,500 games at short. Yeah, bigger OPS plus than Cal Ripken Jr. So, Doug... Can you please reiterate for us that Derek Jeter was not overrated? Yeah, I mean, I, that's it's something that just sort of was accentuated by just either being on the field against him. And ultimately, my last season, I went to Yankee spring training, and that sort of confirmed it even more. And, and you know, he aged like, you know, you're supposed to, right? He aged and slowed down at certain points. But by then, he had established something that was so hard to – to comprehend as, as someone trying to get him out. And you think about the meetings, right? You play against players and you go into meetings and say, how do we get this guy out? Like, what, how do we pitch this guy? How do we know? And, and Jeter was an enigma. And, and the thing about him is, like the way I think of it is, I, I was trained under Jimmy Pearsall. And Jimmy Pearsall as an outfield coach would say, hey, look, you are always in motion as a center fielder. You see everything in front of you. You see the pitcher, the catcher. You know where they're setting up. You know the pitcher's capability. You know the count. And you know the hitter's tendencies. And based on all that information, when the ball is about to hit, you know, enter the hitting zone, you should be in motion. You should be already cheating because you should be able to deduce that, okay, this is more likely to be a ball hit in right center. So a lot of times I was already a step or two headed where I was going before the contact was made. And you get really good at it. And so Jeter, 
was one of those rare few guys that you couldn't really cheat on. You couldn't really get that extra jump on because he could disguise his swing with the best of them. I mean, part of it was, think about a fastball inside. If the fastball is coming in, you have to get the head of the barrel out quickly to pull it. If you're too late, you get jammed. But when you have a Jeter approach with this inside-out swing, you can then let it get deep, even get beat unintentionally, and then throw your hands inside out and get the barrel. So what that does is it takes the same pitch where you're anticipating as a center fielder that he's going to pull because it's inside and, and the hitter is a pull hitter like Sheffield or something. Then Jeter is able to carve that to right field. And now he slices it the other direction. So now I can't really lean one way or the other. I have to wait for him to make his contact. And that split second is the difference between a running catch and a double. So you think of someone like Andre Agassi, players that had great returns of service, their ability to return serves, and they could disguise their swing, and all of a sudden they hit a cross court. You know, you don't you don't know where they're going, and the later they can disguise it, the more effective and flat-footed your opponent is. That that was Derek Jeter, his ability to carve it all all over the place. So so not only did he have the numbers, he just had something unique to him, his his ability to really be this sort of master of disguise. And, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't hitting 50 home runs, but he was doing so much damage uh, because of that impact. So I, I just watched a guy that had so much confidence, uh, rightfully so, in his ability to read pitchers, hit different kinds of pitchers. I tried to give him a scouting report one spring training of Randy Wolf when we were playing the Phillies. And, I was, and he just said, I, like, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. He said, is he a lefty? I said, yeah. I said, That's all I need to know. He's a lefty. I got it, you know? <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I guess I won't give him any tips. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it just it, the innate feel for everything it took to be a great baseball player, that was him. Uh, that was him. Um, you know, you, as you mentioned, you were his teammate very briefly. H- how would you describe Derek Jeter as a teammate? I mean, you, you saw him walk in the room way other players interacted with him. Uh, was there something different about that than maybe we would imagine? There was. I mean, I think I was very impressed. I mean, I knew him early on because when I used to work out in, I used to work out in Tampa, Florida with my brother. And so when he was coming up, I would see him. And, you know, so I knew him early. I played against him in the Arizona Fall League. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, he didn't have a lot of pop. But he had that inside-out swing. He was really hitting, you know. So I played him, you know, right center field. That was his style. But what came with that was this true ambassadorship. He was, you know, when I saw him later in life, two thousand five, you know, I was I was impressed how he signed every autograph. He was out there talking to people. I remember a guy came and I was stretching. He said, "Tell Jeter his like high school baseball coach." It was somebody from way back, and you know, I went out there and told him and. You know, he's like, who is it? You know, so I kind of explained it and then he came, he's like from Kalamazoo or whatever. You know, he just, um, he was very gracious with the fans. He understood his role. He understood the impact it had to celebrate the game. And, and he, you know, I, you know, this is Jeter. So he, there's no limit to how many autographs you could sign. It would never end. And he found ways to just do it, just be out there early and, and really had that sort of calm about him. And his approach reflected that on the field. He was very calm. Ice, really true ice water. It wasn't just like stoic. I mean, he really was in control. And you could tell that he had a, a sense of, I'm a step ahead of you. And, you know, sort of like facing Greg Maddox. He just had that approach and, and confidence to go with it. And 
you're not talking about a guy who hit the ball 450 feet to the opposite field or was, you know, a blazer. He was good speed, but, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like, oh, oh, these are the tools. He had these intangibles. And the intangibles kind of translated to things that were important about, you know, spreading the the joy of the game, right? Being someone that you want to look to to represent the game. And, And therefore, he transcended baseball, right? He was a superstar on every level, whether it's the commercials or just the idea of, of being iconic. And I always, I always found it, especially playing with him for that brief spring training in 05. And I always found it kind of insulting when I heard them talk about Jeter, like he wasn't as good as he was, or he was, uh, I understood he wasn't necessarily like, you know, Ozzy Smith at shortstop, but there was things that you couldn't explain about his instincts for the game that sort of also separated him. And, and I watched a player that was completely dominant and knowing that, okay, if you got obsessed with home runs, that's one way to look at it. But this guy was authentic and, and there was something to him that was a separator. And, and you know, I always told the story about how he, uh, you know, when my, before my son was born, we kind of already knew what his name was going to be. And I was painting the nursery, had, you know, I was making this room and I was excited and I was on the roof and seal, whatever. And, and I thought about the bat rack of whose bat do I want to put and hang in this room. And I had trouble because I was really annoyed at the PEDs and steroids and how it clouded my career. I really couldn't think of a whole lot of players that were great, but also kind of out of that cloud. And then I, I said, no, it's got to be Derek Jeter. It's got to be Jeter. So I want Jeter's bat signed, personalized to my son, and I want that up there. So I texted him. You know, and I had been out of the game for three years and, and I still had his number and, you know, but he would respond. So I texted him. I said, hey, man, uh, don't want to bother you. I know you're in spring training. Can you, you mind sending a bat? I kind of thought about it. I really like your bat personalized to my son. And if you could do that, that would be great. Not only did he send the bat personalized, it was overnighted. It, it had literally arrived the next morning at my doorstep in a box. And I put it up and it was like, you know, it's to my son, Derek Jeter signed and just put it up on the wall. I mean, that's how he was, you know. And and um, when he when he announced the retirement, I was cover, I was calling the Baltimore game, the series, right, the sort of their last home series. And I uh, came out and talked to him. I gave, uh, you know, this is how much appreciation I had from as an ambassador, as a player, as a person. I actually wrote a handwritten card, thank you note for his career. And I gave him, you know, a bunch of stuff just to thank him for. So that tells you a lot. You know, that's not something I even thought of for anybody uh, that I that I played against, let alone with. So um, so I think he's he's underrated on a lot of levels, and uh, that's why he's, he's more than a Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah, he he's reached that that place where not too many people get there, but you get where you get so overrated, you're underrated. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that we that's the thing about Derek Jeter. He was underrated and not just in the numbers he put up or even his role in, in all those championships. It was that thing that you just described. It was understanding who he was what it meant to be him. There's so many star baseball players, star athletes who don't understand the responsibility that goes with that level of stardom. He always got it. He got every aspect of it. I know that there were people in my business who didn't enjoy the the Derek Jeter interview sessions because Derek, post-game, he would answer questions, but like you weren't going to learn anything earth shaking, but I really enjoyed talking to him because you know what, Doug, 
Like he was the, he was the man. He was the face of baseball. And any day that you went to a Yankee game or a Yankee spring training game, you could walk in the room and know at some point Derek Jeter was going to come to his locker and you could speak to him every day. Like that doesn't happen with very many stars of his stature. And so that kind of leads into my story. I mean, when you were talking about intangibles, this is my favorite Derek Jeter story. This was about maybe 10 years ago. I was writing a story about winners, <laughs> which I know is a term we throw around a lot. But my, my thought was, I'm going to try to define what separates true winners from everyone else. I, I, I know it seems surprising, but I thought, hey, I should talk to Derek Jeter about this. <laughs> Call me crazy. That's just what I thought. So uh, the premise of the piece was uh, that what separates people like him from everyone else is that ability to play with a special energy and focus every game, every week, every month, every year. Uh, that feeling that every at-bat matters. Every play in the field matters. Every moment on a baseball field, every single day, matters. Uh, that's how Derek Jeter played. Now, he wasn't the only player I talked to in this piece. Uh, like Chase Utley was in it. I remember Johnny Damon was in it. I talked to Jim Leland because of the way he used to find a way to motivate players. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of people in it, but he was kind of the poster boy. <laughs> so, like Again, call me crazy. That's how I saw him. All right, so I go to see the Yankees. And, uh, you know, I walk in and Andy Pettit's there. So I'm talking to Andy Pettit about Jeter. He, and... Uh, and he just had this way about him. And he says to me, I got a question you should ask him. Why don't you ask him if he's ever mailed in it at that? <laughs> so, so I laughed and I said, yeah, right. He said, no, <laughs> really? Ask him that. Okay, so Derek arrives at his locker for our conversation. Explain the premise of the story. We talk about that. And I mean, again, like I know some people thought Derek was the king of the non-answer answer, but not for a story like this. He loved the topic. He was great. He was awesome to talk to about it. And then he just kind of segued to the point where I thought, all right, here we go. Time to ask Andy Pettit's question. So I said, Derek, have you ever mailed in with that? <laughs> ever? And he looked at me and he said, what? <laughs> I said, do you think you've ever mailed in an at-bat <laughs> any point in your career? And he got this look in his face and he said, like snapped at me. He said, no, I would never do that. He said, I mean, I've gotten back to the dugout after an at-bat and said, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Why did I swing at that pitch? Something like that. But have I mailed in an at-bat? I would never do that. Never. And like, of course he wouldn't, <laughs> you know, but just, just that look on his face when I asked him that question, was so classic. I'll never forget it. Doug, does that surprise you? No, it, it doesn't surprise me. And <laughs> and I and I think there is something to be said. Like he came in this generation where you know there was a shadow of Alex Rodriguez, right? The power game, the home runs, the shift in the expectations on skill positions that had to hit home runs. And he kind of just kind of cruised right through it. He jeetered his way right through it. Like this is he was so sure and certain on who he was as a player, a person, 
that the game kind of ended up folding around him, you know, and, and I think it, and, and someone like that endures, right? They, they're, um, they're iris, they're, it's what makes him timeless, right? It, I can see Jeter playing in like 1925, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like that, that's just sort of how he was. And, and just think about like 9-11, right? I mean, you know, it wasn't just the greatness in these great moments on these high pressure stakes in New York City at that. It was also that, he rose to the challenge of, of what our country was feeling and experiencing in 9-11, the world, especially New York City. I grew up in Jersey, been in the Twin Towers, and I still have a Macy's Day Parade snow globe with the Twin Towers in it, I, I remember. And and Jeter just, like, carried the day. You know, the big home runs, and, uh, you know, he just had that knack for making the game bigger and larger than life. And, uh, and that's like the ultimate ambassador, right? You love the game and express it in such a way that it becomes something else, right? Something spiritual, something that transcends. And, and so, no, it, it, it just doesn't surprise me. He was a tremendous competitor. I used to work out the year I was Yankees spring training in 05. I worked out with Jeter, Sheffield, and, and Bubba Crosby uh, in the backfield for the first month before we started camp. And that was highly interesting and entertaining just listening to them. And uh, I always enjoyed Gary Sheffield's theory on how to save money on groceries was to hire a chef. That was his theory. And this is how you save money on groceries. You hire a chef. And I just loved like Jeter's like eye, his rolling of the eyes. Like, you know, I mean, it, it was just, he was just cool. It's a cucumber. And I just had a lot of deep conversations with him about, you know, every time I saw him after I retired, I had another child, you know, <laughs> so I have four kids. And he used to joke like, I, I don't know if you're ever ready to get married. I, I don't know. I He used to always talk about being figuring it all out. And uh, so I'd see him run at the cage and say, gee, I got, I got, here's another kid. <laughs> so he's like, I am so far from where you are, man. I can't even. So uh, he was, he was just, he was great. He was so much fun. Yeah. He, he got there. Uh, that Mr. November Homer. Uh, I, I saw that live. Still gives me chills thinking about that one. That was some, that was some week at Yankee Stadium in that 2001 World Series. Uh, and, and Doug, that, that quality you just described, let me say this one more time. Nothing about that is overrated. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Doug, that's enough babbling from us. Uh, here's the deal. We've made it through Labor Day. We've reached September. I think we should provide a valuable public service by looking ahead to what I think is going to be a really fun last month of baseball. Here to help us do that, we're inviting two of our favorite people to join us in the Starkville Town Square. 
It's our own Eno Saris. And via the magic of automobile Bluetooth, <laughs> it's the great Tyler Kepner <laughs> of the New York Times. Tyler, Eno, welcome to Starkville. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for having me. So glad to be uh, so glad to be in Starkville. What a place to be. <laughs> Yeah, you well, just don't drive through Starkville. We should we have to alert America or North America or wherever you listen to this. Tyler's in his car, so Tyler, we're going to be able to hear you, right? All right. Yep, you're going to be able to hear me. I'm just looking for those uh, road signs to Starkville. I I might not make it there in time, so I got to do it in the car. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a problem for a lot of people. We have a lot of corn, by the way, so you might blink and be right through the town, four blocks by four <laughs> blocks. <laughs> Uh, we, right. can have, we, can, we, can, um, we can have a catch if I get there. <laughs> <No way. laughs> yes, we Whatever can. We need to do But I just want you to obey all posted traffic regulations because we are not paying your fines. Got that? <laughs> Got that. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, we've done a few of these roundtables this year. Tyler, I know uh, you're new to this gig, but basically here's how we have mastered this shtick. Uh, we throw a bunch of fun categories out there, then we go around our fabulous Zoom table, and we see how much light we can shed on all this stuff. Um, you know, the, the, I, I keep thinking that light has got to be brighter than the sun. Sound good? Let there be light. ask. Brighter than the sun. Remember that. All right, let's get started. Uh, our first topic, the best race in September will be... B, Eno. What do you got? I think it'll be the race for the American League second wild card. I think you've got the what's American that? League wild card. Yeah, they, yeah, the American League. The American League wild set card. The second one. Yes. So the Red Sox, the A's, the Mariners, maybe the Blue Jays get in on it. Uh, I just think those are really great teams, and it'll be sad that one of them won't make it, and uh, they'll all play well, and they a lot of them play each other. Uh, so that will lead to a lot of intrigue uh, down the stretch. How's it going to turn out? Uh, <laughs> I will. T- I you know this latest COVID outbreak in Boston. I think is just terrible timing for them. I just think that this is this is the worst thing that could have happened to them. With they need to win every game right now. So I think the A's might sweep, sneak in uh, past the Red Sox. Wow, uh, Tyler. You can fill in this blank. The best race in September will be? Well, I think that'll be a good one for sure. And I got my eyes on the Blue Jays um, in particular. I, I think they could they have a good run in them. But I'll say uh, the National League East. Um, you know, I, I, I think the Braves, obviously they've been leading it for a while now. Um, and the, the Phillies and the Mets are very hard to believe in. Um, but both are playing okay. And uh, both the Phillies and the Mets, I, I, I think, still have hopes of clawing their way back into this thing. We saw how quickly the standing split in August, um, and maybe it can happen the same way in September. I, you know, I think the Braves uh, did a great job um, overcoming some of their injuries, uh, much more so than the Mets have done. But I have not counted out the, uh, the Phillies and Mets yet. I think it could still be a really fun September in that NLE. Well, I got to ask you the same question I asked Eno. How's it going to turn out? Well, I think the Braves will end up winning it. Um, I think they're the best team, and and uh, you know they're they're only going to get stronger as as Ian Anderson and, and some guys come back. 
Um, but I think the other teams will give them a good fight. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly it's, it's not a sure thing. That's, that's what makes it fun. But I, I think you got to give the Braves the edge because of what they've done the last few years winning that division and the fact that they are in the best position to do it again. I'm with you. All right. Doug Glanville, the best race in September will be? And I'm going to go with the National League West, even though it's a kind of two-horse race for the most part. It's been the three-horse in the beginning parts. But now, I don't know, I like the Giants-Dodgers just because they have the rivalry history. Uh, they're teams that have just been neck and neck. The Dodgers are figuring out a way to get hot again. And, you know, no better magic when you have two teams that have this history going back to New York City. <laughs> so uh, so I like yeah, I like Dodgers and Giants more more for the two-team battleground that it is. It's not necessarily a race, but it is in some ways when you think about that rivalry. It's a two-legged horse, huh? Two-legged horse, and it's <laughs> one of the more exciting two-legged horses out there. So, Yeah, <laughs> it is. All right, I got a question for you guys. Like I, I was thinking that both these teams are headed for 100 wins, so it's got some... It's, it's got some shades of 1993 when the Braves and Giants were going down the stretch, 104 wins to 103 wins. But the fact that the loser, quote-unquote, gets in, does that mean it can't possibly be as epic as 93? Yeah, it oh, it can be, be epic. as epic as 93. <laughs> no, no, it can't. I mean, there's, in 93, they were fighting on a tightrope, you know, and if you fall off, there's no no net now if you fall off there uh there is that net there's that net uh, the wild card game and you can use that wild card game to, to win the world series we saw the nats did it we saw the 14 giants did it so um it, it could be you know epic but i think now it's just going to be basically for seeding yeah i think that's true all right well i'm going to go with best race in september will be the national league wild card just because i want it to be the national league wild card. <laughs> Uh, I want Fernando Tatis and Joey Votto and Nick Castellanos, and I would be totally cool if we were dragging in Bryce Harper, whoever. Like, I want the season to be on the line every time those guys step up to bat in the last week. Um, And think about this. The Padres finished the season last week with the Dodgers and the Giants, so they can help determine basically the entire NL field. So that's what I'm rooting for. You guys like, I like it? it? That's a fun one. I, I like, like it. it. A lot of MVP like candidates it. in there. Yeah, I, that would be good, too. <laughs> Speaking of which, the National League MVP will be... Tyler, I'll let you start. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. I'll just come around and say it. I, I think, you know, the Padres, whether they make it or not, they, they've contended all this way um and yes he's missed some time but he's always come back and he's always been spectacular when he's come back i know his defense has been erratic um at times but i think for the combination of speed and power at that position um for a team that again win or lose is uh has been a great story all year um i think he's been the best player in the league you could definitely make a case for that. Eno, NL MVP. Well, will you know, I, I'm not like a war absolutist. Uh, you know, once it gets down to a decimal point, I kind of just lump them together. The problem is when you're talking about like Turner, Harper, Tatis, 
you know, I think Turner will, that's the lumping together with Fangraph's war. Um, you know, the Dodgers are all going to probably split the vote to some extent. It's kind of hard to pick one of them when Turner and Muncie are so close in terms of war, in terms of how useful they are to the team, and Turner was on another team to begin with. So, you know, I think the Dodgers will fall off because of that. So it'll come down to Harper and Tatis. Narrative will decide it. It will be whoever makes the playoffs. Could be. What do you think there, Doug Glanville? NL MVP will be? I'll go with El Nino, FT Jr. over there in San Diego. I mean, um, you know, he's just an electric player, obviously exciting, but also putting up the numbers. Got to stay healthy. That's going to be important. You know, taking on another skill position by going into center field. uh, You know, just doing a lot of little things that are creating intangibles. But, yeah, it makes a – uh, certainly a difference that they can get into the postseason because for them to do that, he's going to have to even go to a higher level of what he's been doing all season long. Um, I'm also going with Tatis. Uh, Bryce Harper's <clears throat> had a fantastic year. Max Muncy's had a tremendous year. But I think Tatis is the answer because it's it's his award to lose. If he's going to lead the league in homers, slugging, OPS, wins above replacement, and win probability added, and maybe stolen bases, you'd really have to be looking for reasons not to give it to him. If you take stolen bases out of it, the last player to lead the league in all those other categories and not win the MVP, you guys can't even guess. Oh. Willie Mays in 1964. He got a few times. I'm pretty sure the vote. Oh. Yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure the voters were not <laughs> studying the wins above replacement board back then. So, could have had something to do with it, but. Uh, it's been a long, long time when a guy had this year and didn't win the MVP. So that's what I think is going to happen. And I'm always wrong. So. <laughs> one one, one follow-up question, though, on this. Um, if Tatis does not get enough plate appearances to qualify, mm. should he still be the MVP? Uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote about this that's the interesting. other day. Uh, I helped confer with Ken uh, the only precedent for a guy who didn't have enough plate appearances to qualify winning the MVP was was Willie Stargell in 1979, but he didn't win it outright. Yeah. He was tied for the MVP. Other than that, uh, nobody has done it. So mm. what do you guys think? There's some value to posting you up know? every day, and that usually gets reflected in the overall value numbers. But – this is the year of the hamstring injury. I mean, if you've looked at it, there's there's so many injuries in baseball this year. I think that there's there's going to be very few people that get to like 700 plate appearances. There might be one or two that get to that, you know, played every day, posted up every day level. So I'm, I'm okay with sort of stepping back from that and saying, okay, did he play a lot? Yeah, he played a lot. So it's good enough for me. Yeah, so is volume maybe a separator? Um, like, I mean, think about it. Uh, Bryce Harper has played, I think, 10 more games, uh, 40 more plate appearances, started every single game since the All-Star break. Max Muncy, 14 more games, 50 more plate appearances than Tatis. I, like, I, I think this could be a year when that factors in. Um, volume always matters. All right, let's keep going. The American League Cy Young will be – let's start with you, Doug. Garrett Cole, I think he's going to pull it off. I mean – the strikeout totals keep going up. The sticky gate or all that's kind of behind him. Uh, all the questions that kind of came up. I mean, he's found it. He's had that game seem to be transformational where he's like 
let me keep the ball, Mr. Aaron Boone, and I'm going to complete this game. And uh, and the Yankees just been unconscious uh, for for quite some time. So, you know, it's it's tough. I think what's tough for me with the Cy Young is that these starters are just not going deep in their ball games. Six innings. I think Cole's only going into the ninth in that particular game thus far. I don't. You know, I think that's a problem. And, and that's why if I, I don't know if we're going to get to this, but if I look at the National League, I might go with someone like Josh Hader. I mean, bullpens matter so much more now because the starters are just, they don't go into the seventh inning. Uh, but Cole has been somewhat of a separator. Lance Lynn had a, ch- a chance, but he, once again, doesn't even average more than, he doesn't even average six innings a start. And he's got hit around somewhat recently against the Cubs. So uh, I'd say Cole right now is, it would be my number one. Uh, you know, what do you got on this one? Well, hey, if you, you ask uh, War, it's like a, it's the home runs that make the difference between uh, Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole. And I can't, I have a vote, so I can't necessarily say which way I'm going. But it is sort of fascinating to me that uh, if you look at just value on the field and don't separate out, oh, the fielders and this and that, it's Robbie Ray. But if you sort of try to be like, okay. I only want to know what Garrett Cole was in charge of. You know, I only want to give him credit for what he did, and that's strikeouts, walks, and homers. Uh, then Garrett Cole uh, is is the one that is in first. <laughs> Dancing a tightrope, tightrope here. <laughs> yeah, you did, Tyler. Um, what do you think on AL Cy Young? Yeah, I think it's Garrett Cole. Um, I mean, unless some people hold the the fighter tax thing against him, um, you know, which I guess could happen, but I, I think most voters will put that aside. Um, I, I think I, I've always thought of the Cy Young Award as, as who is the most dominant and durable, because when you talk about an ace, the way players view an ace, it's a guy who can go out, take control of a game, stay in the game a long time, and, and dominate the game. And I think that's what Cole does. That's what the Yankees look for him to do every five days is, is take the ball, get, get relatively deep in the game relative to the way it's done now. And uh, strike out a lot of guys uh, because if you can do that and be efficient enough to be up there in innings, um, I think that's the best of both worlds. And, and Cole has been that to the Yankees. Um, this is basically an award for excellence, not as much as, you know, not that murky sort of value that we have for the uh, MVP. But if you want to get into storylines, he has been, um, huge for the Yankees, and just as a as a stabilizer all year, with the rest of the rotation is plus, um, you know he, he he's kind of been the anchor and, and earning that big paycheck. So I, I I give it to Garrett Cole. God, I hate it when we all agree, but I also think it's it's Garrett Cole. And you know this is you, Tyler, you're exactly right. This is not the most valuable pitcher award. This is a performance award. And I think uh, the Justin Verlander household would agree with you that <laughs> innings matter, volume matters, um, being a horse matters. And so, like, basically, Carlos Rod- Rodon has actually pitched the best, but he's missed too much time. He's got many fewer innings than, than Cole in the field here. Uh, Garrett Cole has the best strikeout rate, best whip, best opponent OPS, best FIP. Lowest extra base hit percentage. Well, one pushback if we're talking um, about durability. Robbie Ray does have more innings. <laughs> he does. And he is like he pretty does. close. Um, if, you, if you're looking at ERA and strikeout and rate, like, he's probably second he, on a lot of those lists. He, he, yeah. he needs to be on this ballot, no doubt. Um, so I think it's I think it's 
Garrett Cole, and I I go back and forth on the answer to who's the best active pitcher never to win the Cy Young. It's either him or Chris Sale or, Chris or Sale. Adam Wainwright. Yeah. It's Sale's got the he's got the bigger body of work, so it's probably him, but one of those guys I think is gonna get dropped out of that conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh all right, here's a fun one. The the best team to miss the playoffs will be you It's know. that loser of the American League wildcard game, I think. Or the the second American League wildcard race. It's the the team that doesn't make it between the Red Sox, uh the Blue Jays and the Athletics. Um, that's just, I think those are all really, really quality teams. And I would put them ahead of some of the people that will fall out of the national league races. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Tyler, what do you think? Well, I hate to say it because I love the way the, the Padres, uh, play and they're very exciting, but I'm going to have to say the Padres, you know, they let the division slip away a while ago and the way the reds have come on. With, uh, you know, the Reds, I think, have a more favorable schedule. And I just I just like that Cincinnati offense and also the pitching. I mean, San Diego has done everything they could do to uh, get a lot of starting pitching, short of Max Scherzer, of course. Um, but they're still a little thin, and I'd like the Reds uh, to, to sneak in there and win that one. Reds, easiest schedule in the league. Padres, hardest schedule of the league rest of the way. Doug Glanville, the best team to miss the playoffs will be. I'm, I'm with Eno in, in the sense of that wild card race. I, if I pick a team, I might say the Oakland A's. Uh, but, you know, I can't take into account all these COVID factors. <laughs> so that's, whoever can predict that, you know, hey, you should be like king <laughs> of the world. But, uh, but I think yeah. the, um, you know, Starling Marte has been great. Uh, he's come and been you know, really this incredible jolt in the trade. But I think it's it's tough. And if the Red Sox continue to find it and, and are able to be consistent like they were earlier in the year, where they were dominant, keeping the ball in the ballpark on the pitching side, uh, incredible offense, and you get the pitching that is really shown these you know elements of brilliance from time to time, they can kind of stabilize that in their chase, again, chase uh, to New York. So... Uh, but, yeah, I think whoever comes out of that is probably going to be the best team of the rest. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be the Blue Jays. Uh, I know it feels like it's the A's. It feels like it's the Padres. It could definitely be the Red Sox. But I I think we're likely to have a situation, last time I looked at this, Blue Jays will, would be the only team with a winning record, a positive run differential, and a winning record against winning teams of 500 or better that doesn't make it assuming, I mean, they could still make a run and get in, but their expected one loss is uh, they should have eight more wins than they actually have. Um, they've been, they've just had a funny year. How the Yankees played since the deadline was how I expected the blue Jays to play, but that isn't their run differential is twice out, as good as the Yankees. Pretty much. Well, I mean, yeah, Twice as good. Right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, and and they've played the, the good teams really well. They've, and they've actually pitched really well lately, with the exception of a few bullpen glitches. So, Jay, Extra so, so games Jay, have been a weird thing. So, what's their problem, Jay? Like, what, what do you attribute to them? They, you know, they're one of those teams, they're like the anti-Mariners, where 
They lose the close games. They never win in extra innings. Um, they pick the wrong <laughs> reliever at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, they um, like great, great looking roster, great offense. The Barrios trade was a, was the right move. Just baseball's hard. Not <laughs> it is. Can I sum it up? Not it is. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's move along. The most important trade of July will turn out to be. Let's start with Glanville on this one. Oh, I need I need multiple choice <laughs> on this. Um, no, well, need multiple choice. Well, Scherzer going to pick Scherzer and Turner. Scherzer trade today, yeah, I right? mean that's a great trade. I mean, I you know I want Willie Adamas <laughs> to be on this list. Uh, is that possible? <laughs> Um, well, the definition of July does not usually include May, but it's, <laughs> it, it's your show. Just whatever the heck you yeah, want to do. Yeah, William Adamas. I mean, what a great trade. And and I think you should get bonus points for trading that early in the season. That's hard to pull <laughs> off. What what did they see? What did they see? Uh, I, I mean, I think Adamas should just count as July because in July he was racking up like 30 wins for the Brewers. I mean, so, so I mean, it's, it, so I, I mean, what an incredible uh, turn of events. And I know he was struggling mightily in Tampa and Tampa still would be able to see beyond the numbers and, and whether they didn't or just chose to say, well, we have a bigger plan. Uh, they're still, you know, one of the best teams in the game. So I guess it worked out, but Adamas is, was such a great trade. But if I had to pick July, I'd, I'd take Turner Scherzer. All right. Now I like it a lot better when the best trade of July is. Okay. That's... <laughs> Tyler, pick a month. The best trade of some month will turn out to be. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to say the Yankee, the dual Yankee moves of getting uh, Rizzo and Gallo. The the way the Yankees turned around their whole vibe, their whole look um, with those moves and a couple of others. Um, has, has been remarkable. Um, they were they were too right-handed. They you know they kind of fought that perception for a while, and then they admitted it um, at the deadline. And, and to their credit, um, they changed and they went out and and did what all the critics and scouts were saying they needed, which was to uh, get some left-handed thumpers in there and to get two of them, two legit big guys like that. I think it really just uh, sparked the team and um, makes the lineup so much more dangerous. That in combination with some of the other, uh, you know, speed that they've added to the team and better defense um, has gotten them going. But I'll say Rizzo and Gallo, because it doesn't happen without those guys. And they both happened in July, <laughs> so we like that. Still two trades. <laughs> One out of two in July. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> we okay. keep violating all the, wait, all the just, rules here. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just wait on my pick. Uh, you know, best trade well, in July. Well, since everyone's breaking be... the rules, I'm taking two, too. Uh, I've taken Starling Marte and Andrew Chapin. <laughs> I think, you know, given that the Ramon Laureano suspension that came down right as that happened, uh, getting Marte loomed really large. I think they're just nowhere close to this race without those two players. If you look at what they've done in the last 30 days, Starling Marte has been the best hitter traded by wins above replacement, and Andrew Chafin has been the best pitcher traded by wins of win probability added. So, I mean, that's all you can ask for. You, you traded for the two most impact players on the market. That's good. All right, so I, I'm going to finish this um, this little part of the segment by also breaking the rules. I'm going to I'm going to pick the Braves trading for four <laughs> new players. Uh, and um, yep. I'm like I'm right. Uh, those trades save 
They trade. They saved the Braves' season. Uh, they've played a pretty close to the same record as the Dodgers and the Giants since then. Um, I keep thinking, who's better at the deadline than Alex Anthopoulos? And I'm not just saying that because he was on <laughs> Does yes, he have I a streak of like four or five straight uh, playoffs? He has yeah. every year he has been a general manager. His teams have made yeah, the playoffs since really 2015. Good. That's amazing. Or, or or an assistant in L.A. I mean, he, he had those oh, L.A. That's right. So he's got a long yeah, streak going now. You know, he is really yeah, he impressive, was... man. He, he, I, I talked to him right after the deadline for a column, just like you had him on the show and and just to, to make sure that those players returned after the break with a new guy in that locker room, Peterson, um, that was just a big, you know, a big signal to that team that we are not giving up. Acuna is out, but we're still going for it. And that's the way Alex operates. It was a brilliant deadline yep. by him. Yeah, the, be- the best GMs have a great feel for the room. Um, all right, we, now, as I was preparing for this podcast – one thing I knew was we had to talk about Shohei Otani because that's now a required topic on every list. <laughs> as, <laughs> as it should like be. I had so many ideas. Yeah, I threw them out to our group. Every, of course, everybody disagreed on which one we should use. So uh, if it's going to be a roundtable, why don't we do it multiple choice? All right. You can pick whichever question you want. Uh, choice A is the best word to describe Shohei Otani's season is blank, or choice B is over-under on Otani homers at 49 and a half, Ooh. so either 50 or under 50. Wow. Tyler, I'll let you start here. Oh, I think he's going to get 50 home runs. I'll go over. I mean, you got the guy has a, uh, a flair for the, the, the dramatic and the moment. I think when he gets close to that 46, 47 mark. He's gonna uh, he's gonna go over that finish line. I just I just have a feeling that he uh, he'll he'll find a way to do that. Yeah, incredible. Uh, Doug, what do you got? Well, I, I choose the best word to describe Shohei Otani's season, and since he is like a rare comet, you have to make up your own word. So the word I'm going to use is otonic. <laughs> I'm just going to just call it yeah. So he's had an otonic season. But, you know, he's just singular in nature, and I had a chance to, you know, write more about it. But uh, there's something that he just transcends as a talent. And, you know, the admiration you have playing with and against opponents that do something exceptionally well is, is clearly noted no matter what level you're at. You still have that respect and childhood enthusiasm for, for greatness. But then there's someone that does it on both sides of the ball uh, where he's neutralizing amazing hitters and all-stars on the pitching side. And he's diminishing great Cy Young caliber pitchers out of the batter's box. I mean, that is such an incredibly rare combination that you really don't have an adjective because he's really once in a, not even a generation, you know, we're talking centuries of, of this game where you've seen someone who's singular in nature. So that's that's why I think he deserves his own mm-hmm. adjective. <laughs> so I will use the word yeah. otonic and, and leave it at that. <laughs> Otonic is really your finest moment. That, that's way better than taking May to July. Okay, that Otonic. We're definitely using this again. Uh, Eno, what's your pick? Yeah, pick I, I would go topic. powerful. Uh, and the reason I'm going with that is that the two things that you can do 
uh, that best uh, describe your ability to keep doing those things going forward or best describe your value. If you're a hitter, it's to hit for a, hit a barrel. And if you're a pitcher, it's to strike a guy out. Well, he's top 10 in strikeout rate as a pitcher, and he's number one in baseball at barrels. So it's like a, a guy who's a top 10 pitcher and a guy who's a top three hitter all rolling into one. So that's pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it's really good. Um, all right, I'm going to also take best word. Is science fictional one word? Can we get a ruling on that? Uh, just say supernatural. It's, it's, it's the same thing without a hyphen. Two words. Uh, they don't hyphen right. supernatural. Uh, Okay, well, let let me make a larger point. Uh, Every time this guy does something mind-blowing, I have to remind myself, he's a real person. (laughs) And this is happening on the planet that we live in. Um, Here's a ridiculous tidbit from my column last week on what we learned in August. Um, So as we recorded this, Otani was leading the league in slugging as a hitter. And he was 16 percentage points away from leading the league in lowest slugging allowed as a pitcher. So very similar to what Ina was getting at. And I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow this note from uh, Andrew Simon of MLB.com. I've been trying to update it and find the right time to use it. How about this? If he gave up a home run to the next 32 hitters he faced in a row, the hitters that he's faced still wouldn't have as high a slugging percentage as he has. And let me repeat, he's a real person. It's, it's just incredible. Uh, all right, one quick Otani bonus question. Just a quick hitter here. Which will be greater when the season is over? Otani RBIs or Orioles losses? They're both in the 90s. I'm the, Ooh, I'm the projections, one. dork. So uh, uh, projections gonna, I, say uh, Orioles losses yeah. by one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Tight. Very good. Uh, Doug? I'll go with Otani just because he might listen to this <laughs> podcast and decide he wants to surpass the Orioles and he will will it to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Otani. That'd be an Otani thing. Tyler, what do you think? I think the Orioles, man. Every time I look at their probable pitcher for that night, I think uh, that's going to be another L. They just, uh, <laughs> I've never seen anything yeah, like, quite, quite as bad as this Oriole rotation, so I'm going to take Oriole losses. Yeah, I, w- I would take the Orioles' losses over pretty much any number you could ask about. Zip codes, phone numbers, <laughs> take it over any number. Like I know that, they're again, they're both in the 90s here, but the Oriole loss – Number seems like it's mounting a little faster than the Otani RBI number. So I don't know. Uh, okay, weirdest and wildest thing that you find yourself following way too closely right now. Uh, you know, I've got a a I'm number that tries to uh, to put a pitcher's stuff into into one number. So it looks at movement and velocity and spin and all that. Number one is Jake Degrom. Number four is Corbin Burns. But between are Blake Trinan and Jake Cousins. And I keep watching that because they flip a little. And I love it because, A, the Dodgers are really good at getting uh, sideways movement out of sliders, and that's what they, they, they help Blake Trinan slider. That's sort of why he's there. And then number two, the, the Brewers traded away J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen and 
found another guy that just happens to have great stuff. So yeah. their pitching development is out of the sight, and it's just a really good program that's turned out so many of uh, the top pitchers in baseball today. Any roundtable to see Cousins, cousins yeah. in there, it's quality stuff. D- Doug, what's the weirdest and wildest thing you're following way too closely? Yeah, I, d- I don't know if I have anything so weird. I just find myself magnetically always watching what Otani's doing. It's not weird or or wild, but, I mean, I feel like you are watching something that when you are kind of this unicorn, it is kind of weird to see something you hadn't seen. So I just, I'm, I've always been just glued to just what this guy's going to do in every given moment. He stole home the other day. I mean, come on. Uh, I just think everything he, he does, it might be something you've never seen before. And I find myself fixated on not only watching him perform, but just what numbers might come off the page that I can't even explain. It's like alien in nature. So. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Tyler, what's the weirdest and wildest thing you're following? Well, I don't know if it's weird or wild, um, but maybe it is because people don't pay much attention to a a one-loss record anymore. So it's probably radical to think about wins for pitchers. But I I have been watching John Lester all year, just hoping he gets a 200 win. I don't know why. I just think that I would like to be able to think of John Lester as a guy who won 200 games. I think he deserves it. I think he's earned it. And uh, I don't know if he's going to stick around next year. You know, he probably has not, very little incentive. He's won three World Series and, you know, Cubs and Red Sox. I mean, pretty cool places. Um, you know, he's got all the money you can need, I'm sure. Um, but he's at 198 through the end of August. And I feel like it would just be really tough to retire, if he retires, on 199 or something like that. So I just uh, – I, I like the round numbers. And um, I'm, I'm really – you know, hoping that he gets the 200 wins just because it, it it would bug me to be on 199 for his, his stats total. Like uh, like Ian Kinsler, you got to look at that 1,999 hits for the rest of the time. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 want, I want Lester to get to 200. I don't know if 200 is the new 300, but 200 is still pretty cool. And uh, I don't know, just for the, the sake of a round number, I think, uh, I think he should be in that category. He's had a hell of a career. Now, now see, here's how next level – we are. Um, here's how much we've evolved as a species. The category is pick something that's weird and wild. And Tyler <laughs> picked wins and a round number. Like, that, used, that didn't used to be that weird or that right. wild. No, that's what I mean. This is where it's we are now, right? I go back so far, I'm in front of me. Perfect. You keep going back. Um, you know, you'll uh, you'll eventually be ahead of the ahead of the curve again. <laughs> okay, something like that. All right, you guys, you guys could probably guess what I'm following because this is probably the last month ever when pitchers will get to hit. So what am I following? <laughs> Max Scherzer at the dish is over the season. Oh, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, he's not not only hitless, he has not even reached base. Hasn't walked, what? hasn't got hit by what a pitch, nothing. Max Scherzer, his lifetime average before this year was almost 200. He almost hit 300 a few years ago. He loved to hit. He really cared about hitting. And now, like, I'm not sure what he's up to, but he has set the record for the most played appearances in a season without ever reaching base. 
Because one of the great things about this record is you can unbreak it. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but for now, he has set that record, and that to me is weird and wild and the kind of thing I can't get enough of. So I'm sad, okay? Who had the previous record? Hey, I, was, it that, was it that Don Carmen? He, he was on the list, if you're looking at the top five list, most played appearances without reaching base, but the record holder... One of your favorites, Tyler, Wei oh, Yin nice. Chen oh, of the oh. Marlins in 2016. Oh, wow. Didn't reach base. Yeah. That's really one of the worst seasons in history. He didn't reach base at the plate. And did he ever make it out of the third <laughs> inning? Not that I remember. <laughs> okay. All right. One more. We got to go. Uh, the last pitcher to get. I'm sorry. One more. We got to go. The pitcher to get. The last out of this year's World Series will be, Tyler, I'll let you go first. Well, last year I said it would be Blake Trinan, and he got the last out of game five, but not game six. So oh, I was off by, I was off by one, one day. Um, but this year I'm going to say Clayton Kershaw, and here's why. Because I think the Dodgers will use him the same way they sort of used Urias last year. You know, they gave him a start here and there, but... I don't know that Clayton's going to be built up when and if he comes back, um, you know, to go six, seven innings, whatever. Um, but if you can use Clayton Kershaw for like three innings first, um, kind of the way the Giants did with Lincecum in, in 12 against the Tigers, I think that could be a great weapon. So uh, if Clayton is in there in a clinch situation, he's two or three innings, he's pitching well, you let him get the last out. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. That's a good one. Eno? Who gets I don't the know last if it's recency bias, but the, uh, the Brewers just blew the doors off the Giants here uh, locally. So I'm going to say Josh Hader throws the last out of the World Series. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Doug, who gets the last out of the World Series? Well, you know, it's, it's only exciting if he throws something exciting out there. So I'm going to say like Ryan Presley <laughs> or something. Uh you know, why not? Houston Astros. <laughs> They're a good that's team. Not, I, like that to me is not, that's, yeah, it's not that outside the box. Like, well, uh, I mean, the Astros could win the World Series, much to America's delight. He is the closer for the Astros. So that's all right. it's not that outside the box. And we should be thinking outside the box because go back the last 10 years, the guy who gets the last out of the World Series is almost never <laughs> who you think it will be. So, like, I was thinking Josh Hader, and I said, no, that won't be him. Uh, like, in the Astros, if they win, it would be way more likely to be Zach Greinke. Okay? Right. But I've I've decided I've got the perfect guy. Are you ready for this? Uh-oh. I mean, if the, if the Rays win the World Series, you can't get much more outside the box than my choice. Will you Thomas? Brett Phillips. <laughs> Brett Phillips will get the last <laughs> of the World Series. He's their most beloved pitcher this year. It'd be worth it just to watch him wind up. He's Mr. October. Whatever he does, whatever he touches, it turns to something unforgettable. Let's go with that. That's pretty outside the box. Well, if they're up by like if if they're up sixteen yeah. to nothing, they might actually try that. You know? <laughs> There's never, there's never been a position player to pitch in the World Series, so it might as well be Brett Phillips in the first. Yeah. If anybody's going to do it, well, let's go with him. Mr. Baseball is fun. All right, Tyler. Eno, that was fantastic. Uh, always a pleasure for Doug and me to pick your brains. Uh, so, hey, the good news is now we've got the finish of the baseball season 
all figured out. Everybody who's out yeah. there listening, don't even have to watch. Go to Netflix, <laughs> catch up on Money Heist before the new season. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> Money Heist, yes, great one. <laughs> all right, so, uh, you know, I know you got a podcast of your own to do. Tyler, uh, I want you to drive very safely. Uh, Doug, I know you got to go teach a course, uh, write a book. Uh, get on a plane. Well, all your stuff. well, we said private eyes, 40th anniversary of private eyes, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, Tyler brought that up. So uh, we're, we're in good company today. <laughs> They're watching your right, every move. <laughs> <laughs> They're watching <laughs> <laughs> right, We're not going down the hole in Oates. <laughs> we are not. Not today. All right, boys. Thanks for the fun and the insights. Please come back and visit us again in Starkville thanks real soon. Us. Okay. Okay, here we go again. It is time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. Once again, we are literally involving you by picking your trivia questions and then inviting you to join us on this podcast live to stump us. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few moments. Doug? we got a very special trivia guest star this week, guy I've known for a long time. He's Ken Krizalovich, the former baseball coach at St. Joseph's <laughs> University in Philadelphia. Uh, now back in Ohio from whence he came, uh, coaching the Croatian Olympic baseball team, which is not in Ohio. <laughs> and uh, he's been trying for weeks to get us to tackle his impossible trivia question. So, Ken, welcome to Starkville. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, and I'm uh, really uh, happy to be with you guys. Thanks. Now, I uh, mentioned that uh, you used to be the baseball coach at St. Joseph's. Do you have any memory of coaching against a big star for Penn named Doug Landon? <laughs> yeah, I do remember. We did play them one of his years there. We were supposed to play, I think, every year. A couple of years, I think we got rained out and weren't able to make it up, but I do remember they beat us one year at their their old field, which was kind of in the shadows of Franklin Field. <laughs> yeah. And I rem I distinctly remember Doug stealing a base uh, <laughs> against us, and uh, they beat us. I I, I want to say like six to two, five to two. Yeah. Um, something like that. So yeah, we we have bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good days. You, you have any recollection of? Yeah, you have any recollection recollection of Doug taking a pitch? Oh no. No <laughs> you, you know, I, I have trouble remembering at bats uh, from uh, a week ago. So 30 years ago, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's fine. Um, and then I guess you should probably quickly catch us up on how it went for the Croatian Olympic baseball team. Well, the the, the national the European Cup is coming up. The the winners of the um, uh, European spot in the recent Olympics was taken by Israel, which doesn't even isn't even really in in Europe, <laughs> no. but they did win in 19, which qualified them for, for the Olympics. Um, so this every two years is the European championship. So in September now is the next one. 16 teams will uh, uh, meet in Italy and I'll be leaving uh, next nice. week. Wow. All right, so you didn't yeah. get to Tokyo. You did not conquer the Olympics, but there's a really good <laughs> chance you're going to conquer me and Doug Glanville and win the trivia gold medal. Yes. Okay. So, so, Ken, okay. uh, why don't we okay. do this? Why don't you hit us up with your trivia question? Okay. Well, as uh, as Miguel Cabrera uh, zones in on 3,000 career hits, um, 
I wrote a book, uh, co-wrote a book uh, a few years back about League Park, where uh, two of the first four 3,000 hit club members achieved that feat. So it got me to thinking, gee, how, is there any place that had more? Is that the record? Whatever. So that is your question. What ballpark uh, hosted the most hit number 3,000s, if you will? <laughs> and there were three of them. There were three. Oh. Three at this one location. Wow. Okay. Well, you you mentioned something about hints the other day uh, when we first talked about this, so we might need them because this is impossible. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, all right. Let's. We're gonna thrash it out. I, I actually don't think that I've ever seen any player get his three thousandth hit live. So I started thinking about ballparks that have been around a long time. I started thinking about players from my time covering baseball who've gotten 3,000 hits. And at the end of that, I still had pretty much no clue. So then I thought about Cleveland Municipal Stadium because you're a Cleveland guy. Uh, I couldn't, But then I couldn't think of anybody from Cleveland <laughs> uh, who would have gotten 3,000 hits there except maybe Bernie Kosar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay, um, I thought about Tiger Stadium, Al Kaline and Ty Cobb. I don't have any idea if Cobb got three thousand there, but that's one that in the argument. I got another fun one, Milwaukee County Stadium. Mm. Robin oh. Yount and Paul Molitor played mm. there. Henry Aaron played there for a while. That's a good one. But I, I think only Yount was still in Milwaukee when he got his three thousandth hit. So I'm not sure on that one. And then another one I thought about was Texas because of Rafael Palmero and Adrian Beltre. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the Rangers keep changing stadiums. Uh, so did both those guys get their 3,000th at the last park, which was Globe Life Park, right? Not Globe Life Field. They might have. Uh, uh, so I think I'm leaning toward County Stadium in Milwaukee, but I don't know. Wow. Doug, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think one thing is, right, you could be a visiting hitter. I know they try to get it at home. But I know a lot of these guys got it on the road. That's what makes it so hard. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I, because I, I want to say Tony Gwynn, didn't he get his three thousandth in like Montreal? It was weird, right? It was a weird. He did. So it was like I just remember that. I was like, that is correct. So I just like, oh man, like what? Uh, the other, well, one thing I thought about is there's a there's a decent amount of Cardinals on that list. Um, I, I stand Musial. Uh, Albert Pujols and Lou Brock. Lou Brock, right? That's Lou Brock. Should, yeah, but I they mean, kept changing stadiums too. They, right, they kept changing ballparks, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I don't know where Biggio got his three thousandth, or I know Wade Boggs got it in Tampa, <laughs> which was interesting on a home run. So yeah, we'll get to that. Later. So all right, so county or you know i don't know or stat olympique which changed a bunch of times there can possibly be three in stat olympique right i mean is that possible i don't know well, I'll, I'll tell you what like i like milwaukee the man said he might drop some hints we need those hits <laughs> okay so we'll, we'll, well, well, well let's take some i'm gonna hits. tell you i'm gonna tell you first it's uh it's not the places you would first think of because of longevity you mentioned that but you didn't really name the names Fenway has only had one. Wrigley has only had one. Dodger Stadium, the third oldest ballpark, has had none. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, you know, I, again, uh, League Park being uh, pretty far back in Cleveland, Lajoie and Speaker did it there. Two of the first four to get the 3,000 did it in that ballpark. Yeah. 
Um, so it's it, it it's a little bit off the chart. Like it's not one that would jump into you, and you haven't mentioned oh it. Oh my yet. gosh, we haven't mentioned it yet. So it's like shy. So it's field. Okay, so we all right. Well, at least we know it's in the we, it's in the United States now. <laughs> uh, what, can can you give us the era? Would that help? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this: exists? the ballpark no longer exists. It's gone. And it did not last that long of a time to have had this happen wow, three times. Only the ballpark only existed 20, probably less than 30 years. Yeah, 25 years, something like that. 30 years. Polo grounds. How long did you Can you give us some idea of what the era was? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, turn of this century. Turn of this era. century. Yes. Turn of so, this century. Oh, in that era. You know, leading up to yeah. oh, leading up to that sounds that 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 has turned the field. Uh, Seventy seven. Still haven't named it. <laughs> Wait, so when you say turn of a century, it's like so it it existed. Turn of this century. So it, your era. It existed. Nine, you played yeah, in yeah. this part. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it no longer exists. Uh, okay, because I didn't play in the old Atlanta. And Turner blew up. Turner Field blew up. Uh, veterans, okay, veteran so stadium, Jack, right. Jack Murphy Stadium, right? Veterans. Stadium. Here's your next Riverfront. Tent. Front. There, there are only besides League Park. There's only three others that yeah. have had two: Anaheim, Brett and Carew, Safeco, Pujols and Palmero, and uh, David Field, Tiger Stadium, Cobb and Eddie Collins. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, turn of this so century. The, so we're take ba- those up. So go to that. Go to I think now. we're basically looking at wait, wait, wait. Turn of this century. We would be looking what at about a Riverfront King King. King no, Kingdom, Jack Murphy Stadium, the Vet, and Minnesota, or the Metrodome. Ding 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 ding. Ooh. The Metrodome. Wait, we haven't even guessed yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we guessed the I Metrodome. That was your guess. We, we, I you were giving a we guess. We're definitely guessing the Metro- Metrodome, right? <laughs> I think in order. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I think in order to get credit for this, um, we would name need to name yeah, the three. Because I would have never never that, guessed right? that. All right, so All right. Dave Winfield has to be one. Uh, All right. Uh, Paul Molitor, he's probably. He was another. the first one. He was the first one. He did it on uh, ninety three. So Met- Winfield when, Molitor. When was it built? In like eighty. I mean. It was like 81, 82, uh, I Carew believe. Did play that long? In the, or did he play even the Twins and the Angels? If he he didn't play it in 93, so that, okay, so he's got to be 80. So, uh, Winfield, Molitor. It's got, some, it's got to be some, some visiting, visitor, right? Uh, some wild visitor. Come on. Come on, Glanville. This is your era. You played in this park. You played against this player. Let's go. I played against this player, so it's that time. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. He must have played against them. I mean, if it's uh, a twin, I mean, they didn't. Kirby Puckett, how many hits did he have? He didn't have that many. Did he? No, not close. 3,000. There's no more twins. That's a lot of hits. Um, <laughs> I'll go Eddie Murray. I mean, that sounds good. I I, I like it. It's it's kind uh, of my Okay, time. so that's what we're going with. We're going with Winfield, Molitor, and Eddie Murray. <laughs> Can any chance... As we said, Moonfield was correct. He was first in 93. Eddie Murray was next in 1995. Third one was Cal Ripken Jr. in 2000. 
Very nice. Wow. So no Paul Molitor. No, oh, we had gosh, it all thought that out. That is that's such a good <laughs> question. Uh, so what just happened? We like did we get this right? We I don't did. know what we got. We, <laughs> no. we got we, nah. Well, your first guess County Stadium. That's why I thought that was your official guess. And then from then on that you were just yeah, rambling. We kind of, that's we what we do. Well, we, we ramble come up through these things. We, <laughs> I hope we hit on yeah, it. Yeah, this was a this a really hard one, man. So I love it though. I don't feel that bad about getting it wrong. It just we're like basically, Jug. We're back on schedule. <laughs> you know, we got one last. We got one right last week. Yeah, it was amazing. This would now make us. Okay, this would now make us five and seventeen. Yeah. In trivia this season. Uh, all right, whatever. If you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right or wrong. We still bring in Tim McMaster, the mayor of Starkville, to be the hero of this segment by dropping in to play a great play-by-play clip. Of one of the answers, so Mayor Tim, what three thousand hit have you got for us today? Well, you guys are one for your last two, so that's think right. about it that way. <laughs> We're on fire. Well, that's optimistic. Yeah. Uh, so we know the three players, uh, but only one of them was actually a twin at the time, and it went a step further than that because obviously Dave Winfield, most people know, also a Minnesota native, which made it extra special. So let's go back to September sixteenth, nineteen ninety-three. Winfield trying to become the 19th man to accumulate 3,000 hits. The first man to do it for his hometown team. Round it towards the hole, hit number 3,000 for David Mark Winfield. Now finally, at home, where he wanted it all along, hit number 3,000. Wait, he was the first player to get 3,000 hits for his hometown team? What about Pete Rose? Are you fact-checking the broadcast <laughs> from 27 years ago? Uh, right. I'm fact-checking a 28-year-old play-by-play clip. What's wrong with me? Once again, Tim's play-by-play was the highlight of the trivia segment. And as usual, the trivia segment itself is the low point of the trivia segment. But uh, it's always good to bring in a great trivia guest star like Ken Chris Solovich. Yes. So, Ken, thanks for joining us here on Starkville. Great question. That was fun, guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, now normally in this part of the show, we do our fun little strange but true segment where we review some weird and wild thing that happened in baseball in the last week. But that trivia question we just messed up gave us an idea. That's, I know that's always dangerous, but hear us out. Uh, you know, this is the third year of Starkville, and every year we have found a way to work in one of Doug's most legendary stories ever. We like to call it the Tyra Banks story. <laughs> and the reason we're going to tee Doug up to tell it this week is we just had a trivia question about three thousandth hits and what's the connection it was a three thousandth hit that inspired this story so let's start this way doug why don't we hear exactly which three thousandth hit it was this was august 7th 1999 drop a field that famous tampa bay devil ray wade boggs was at the plate and there's a drop gloss over that part at the end. What did he do at the end there, Doug? Uh, he bent down and kissed home plate. <laughs> yes, he did. All right, so Ugh. he kisses home plate. Here's how my warped mind worked back then. <laughs> I thought, I got a great idea. I'm going to ask a bunch of players what would have to happen for them to kiss home plate. That was fun. And one of the players I asked was a fellow named... Doug Glanville. So, Doug, what did you reply? Oh, boy. I, I'm not sure I have the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of the only way I will kiss home plate is if Tyra Banks's picture is on it. That was my quote. Yes, it was. Uh, and by the way, kissing home plate is completely disgusting, Wade Boggs. Uh, chalk, spit, tobacco, dirt, plastic, um, just, just not something on my uh, my dinner plate. So right. <laughs> I'm not sure what he was thinking there. All right. So that was your quote. The only way I would kiss home plate was if Tyra Banks' picture was on it. <laughs> Doug, the floor is yours. What happened next, my friend? <laughs> well, you, you you wrote an article. Uh, I with did. This, with this lovely quote. And... Um, to my shock, the Los Angeles Times, I believe it was, picked it up as some sort of quote of the day. And it was it was kind of in the, you know, the header of maybe the sports page, I think. Yeah. And it's as me, you know, picture and there's, you know, Tyra Banks or whatever. And there's this quote. So, I mean, I'm not really totally aware of how this is like spreading, going viral, so to speak, at least viral back in the day before it was viral. And uh, so I'm kind of oblivious. And uh, so the quote, you know, has some staying power. And I think I see it. We might have gone to L.A. or something. I'm not sure uh, where I saw it. But I did actually see the physical newspaper. So um, so I, it's the off-season rolls around. And I'm going to – Arn Tellum was my agent. And I want to say it was a Jackie Robinson Foundation. But we went to some uh, event. And, you know, all dressed up. I go and I see my agent's uh, office manager, Gail D'Agostino. And Gail's like – Hey, um, you know, we got a message 
and um, you know, it's from like Tyra Banks's people, and uh, she's sending you a home plate. I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> it's like, "No, no, no!" Like, really? Like, you're, you know, she's gonna. I need your address, and they, they, you know, she wants to send you a plate. I completely didn't believe any of this, right? I was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." You have my address on file. So at the time, I was, I think I was at my parents' house in the off season, in between teams or whatever. So I. I, I think I gave her my parents' home address in, in New Jersey. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go back, and sure enough, one day, there's this really weird box at the front door of my parents' house. I'm like, okay, this is weird. I pick it up. It's really heavy. I still have not made any connection because I'm in complete denial that this is even real. So I pick it up. I'm like, what in the world is it? So I open this box, and sure enough, there's a home plate with Tyra Banks' airbrushed scan <laughs> picture in like a bikini and it says to Doug you don't have to wait for number 3000 you can kiss home plate right now and she signs it and all this and I'm like what is <laughs> just like speechless right so I have Tyra Banks's picture on a plate with it you know signed personalized to me and then inside it is a card and it's an invitation to her birthday party in New York I think in December, I think her birthday is somewhere in December, early December. So short, and it's a GQ. She was like GQ cover woman. Right. Uh, and so sure enough. So I, I say, okay, so of course I'm going to bring my A game to this party, right? I, I I had at least 50 different ways she could reach me and I wrote it all down. I had like emails and cell phones, carrier pigeons, you know, like Sanskrit, whatever. I was like, you can find me everywhere. And um, so I brought, but I, I did a little research on the internet and I saw it said her favorite color was green. So as you know, one of the Phillies known for, for spring training with respect to green. They right? wear, they'd wear the green St. Patrick's Day uni. Yeah, the uni and the hat. So I got a green St. Patrick's Day hat. I think I signed it, probably put my phone number in that one too. <laughs> and I put it in a bag and I brought it to this birthday party in New York. And I brought friends as witnesses. They were only there for witnesses. I was like, all right. <laughs> And so sure enough, they, the agent, they tell me to go to this VIP room and she'll be there, right? So I bring a, a gift in this bag and all this stuff and I wear my suit and I go in and sure enough, I walk in, there's Tyra Banks. <laughs> it's just like surreal. So she comes up and she's actually kind of nervous and she, I got a kiss on the cheek, you know, Jason, my friend Jason gets kissed on the cheek, you know, and he's like, I'm not washing my face ever again. No. <laughs> and and so we start talking and um uh, I guess what helped is she was kind of as nervous as I was. So we kind of, you know, it, it sort of neutralized the moment. So we talked for a while and, and I gave her this big bag of stuff and, and then, you know, I saw her around and people, we, you know, we danced as a group and all this stuff. And, and it was kind of it. We hung out and it was a nice party and we went back. And then one, one day in spring training, I'm, you know, just sitting in the weight room and that's where we use the computer because then we didn't have all our phones and all that stuff. Shilling is in there. And I'm, I go in to uh, look up my email and I see this email and I'm reading it. It's all lowercase letters. And I don't, I, I, I'm really confused. Like, I don't know who this is from. It's like, dear Doug, da da da. I can't believe I've turned 26 or it was something like that. And I, I had no idea who this is from. And at the bottom, it's, you know, it says Tyra Banks or, you know, in lowercase. And I was like, no, this can't be right. right? I, I, so I'm looking around like Schilling would do this kind of prank or something. Someone is pranking me. So I, when I wrote back, she wrote back. 
And, um, and I think it started where we kind of ended up, you know, being friends. Like I, you know, talked to her periodically. Uh, I remember one time she came to a game in LA and at one point she had to miss a couple of games that she promised to come to. So she felt bad about it. She said, I'll be your wake up call for the next three days. So I gave her my wake up times and she called right on the nose every morning. I mean, it was cool. I think what was real, what was fascinating is I, I think I learned a lot about, you know, you're in this entertainment world as an athlete. And certainly you want to use it sometimes to leverage all kinds of fun things. Now, I mostly wanted to go back to my childhood. I wanted to go backstage with Daryl Hall and John Oates. I wanted to play Stratomatic with like the founder. You know, those were kind of things. I mean, I get why you might want to try to go on a date with a supermodel, but it really wasn't actually the first thing in my mind. <laughs> and um, But I, I did sort of learn from her about this world of, of like the supermodeling world and how like hard that was. Uh, you know, on a whim having to go places and, and just like, you know, I just gained a different understanding and respect about the modeling agency and like, and how hard it was socially. And I think a lot of players relate to this fear or concern about if you're meeting someone after you've kind of made it, is it authentic? Do you, you know, do you trust people? You have that sort of trust issue. And I think you do kind of gravitate towards people who are in this world. You kind of think, oh, well, they'll understand and or they're going to be there for me, for me, and not because I'm whatever, baseball player, supermodel, whatever. Um, and I think that was, you know, ed, you know, kind of educational. I think she, she had a lot of insights. So it's kind of been fun full circle because she does, uh, what's that show? Dancing with the Stars she hosted. And one of my daughters kind of into fashion. And so it was kind of this full circle moment. And I always look to my wife like, you can, do you want me to tell her? Am I, or you can tell her. Why don't you tell her? So I kind of let her tell the story. So yeah, it was it was quite a run, um, and uh, it, yeah, it was it was certainly a magic moment. Thanks to Jason Stark, who made that quote happen, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was at Tyra Banks's birthday party. <laughs> yeah, all right, a, a, a few things. Uh, one, you're welcome. <laughs> Two, it's it's beautiful. Like it's like when Hall and Oates play Maneater, Doug. Uh, you know, it's what the crowd's been waiting for. We made them wait till September this year. I know it was worth the wait. It was great. Um, all right, one more postscript to that story. Now, this has to do with Starkville. Uh, the first time Doug told it on this show, I believe it was on our very first show. We were trying to explain our friendship and where it had led us. Um, so, of course, we both tweeted about the show and just happened to mention that the Tyra Banks story would be on the show. And guess who retweeted us? Tyra <laughs> Banks retweeted us. Do you still have the home plate? Uh, I do. I, it was um, it was recently up before we moved, so we took it down. It's somewhere, I think, in an attic. I, I always check for my wife, should we throw it away this year? She's like, no, no, it's cool. So she's appreciate it. Somewhere I have a picture, so I'll try to find the picture and and uh, and send it for this episode. Yeah, that's your that's going to be your assignment. Um, so that w- w- people who listen to this, we can actually post the whole <laughs> plate and they can see we're not making any of this stuff up. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. You can find us every Tuesday right here as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Mondays, it's Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag. Thursdays, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. Great stuff all week long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety 
absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at The Athletic and The Athletic app. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you'd subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. Thanks to the many people who have already done that. We are honored. If you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you can subscribe for 50% off. So check us out. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question to join us right here and prove once again. <laughs> you, you know the rest. There's almost no baseball <laughs> trivia question we can't get wrong. Uh, so to do that, you can email us at starkvilleattheathletic.com or you can find us on Twitter. I don't know how they'd find Doug Glanville, but Doug, maybe you could help. I could help. My first piece of advice, though, is never kiss home plate. It's terrible. <laughs> Unsanitary. <laughs> Uh, but you can find me at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Right. You can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason with a Y-S-T. Please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag StarkvilleQS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Eno Saris and Tyler Kepner for visiting Starkville. Thanks to Ken Krizalovich for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. <laughs>